So last week, we finished most of chapter 9. I think we stopped at the end of 31. So we'll pick it up at 32. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down to the saints who lived in Lydia, or Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Yeshua, Messiah, heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. So one of the things that is sort of going on here with Peter is, of course, you remember we're in the book of Luke on Shabbat, and it's the travel narrative. So he's traveling from the north down to Jerusalem on his way to his final Passover. And he does a bunch of teachings, but he also heals people and so forth. So the idea of Peter going around healing people and delivering people, he's very much picking up the ministry of Yeshua in that sense. Now, verse 36. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated means Dorcas. And probably most of you don't know what Tabitha and Dorcas means, and I wouldn't if I didn't have a note in my Bible. It means gazelle. Tabitha is Aramaic, Dorcas is Greek, and the two of them both mean the same thing, which is gazelle. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So we were just in Lydda. That's where he healed the paralytic, Aeneas. So Joppa is close by, and so when Dorcas dies, they send for Peter. 39. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room, all the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. So she did lots of good works, and one of those apparently was sewing. I don't know whether she supported herself that way or she sewed charitably, but they're displaying her works to him. 40. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon the Tanner. So, sort of, I would say, authenticating that he's a prophet, authenticating that he's an apostle, authenticating that he's got the Holy Spirit. And you know, one of the things that happens, you, know, you had Elijah and Elijah, and they both raised people from the dead and healed people and so forth. So what's being done here is he's being authenticated by signs and wonders. And, of course, in that process is, is preaching Yeshua. Now, one of the things that happens in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 13, if a prophet or a dream or dream rises among you and gives a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. And if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. 
For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So one of the things that's sort of standard in Judaism is prophets and dreamers of dreams can do signs and wonders, but signs and wonders are not sufficient to authenticate a prophet. So Peter, walking around doing signs and wonders, um, he's going to have a dream about the sheet that comes down and just all sorts of miraculous healings and so forth. That is not necessarily to a devout Jew sufficient demonstration of his credentials. And I would suspect, although I don't know this, I would suspect that one of the things that they regard is him preaching Yeshua may fall into the category of following after another God. They've got in Deuteronomy where Moses says, okay, you got somebody that's doing strange stuff or miraculous stuff or whatever, and that's great, but if he tells you to worship somebody besides Jehovah, you don't do it, and you don't fear him. So I could very well see that the Orthodox Jews would regard Peter as prophet, dreamer of demons, but who is not legit. Much in the same sense as Balaam was able to do signs and wonders and so forth. You had Simon the Magician, who was, we're not sure whether or not he was a bona fide prophet, as, for example, Balaam was. It says magician, and I don't know what that means in this context. It just says that's what he was. And he and Peter go head to head when he wants the gift of the Holy Spirit and Peter chastises him and says, no, you can't buy that. So Peter doing these healings and raising the dead and so forth may in fact be in the tradition of a lot of the rest of the scripture where you put two men side by side in similar circumstances and you can see what each of them does and draw your own conclusions. And you have, for example, Judah and Joseph side by side in the book faced with sexual temptation. One of them goes one way and the other one goes the other way. You have Lot and Abraham and so forth. So you have lots of those examples and this may be another one. Anyway, the point I was making is signs and wonders and miracles are really cool, but in Jewish and Hebrew theology, they are not sufficient to authenticate somebody as being from God. The other half of that is that person must lead you to worship Jehovah as opposed to leading you to worship somebody else, which also says, by the way, that there are people who can do signs and wonders who are not doing them through God. Witness the Egyptian magicians. And one of the things that you'll see in lots of Christian churches is that these guys were doing some kind of trickery. The Bible does not indicate that. And here in Deuteronomy, it says if you've got somebody that can do signs and wonders, you need to be careful with them because they may lead you away. At the end times, you'll have the man of sin who will be able to do signs and wonders. And Yeshua says that he will be so authentic that if it were possible, he would fool even the elect. So all I'm saying here is that the fact that Peter is doing signs and wonders is convincing to some people but it would not necessarily be convincing to everybody. And there would be lots of people who would regard Yeshua as 
a false messiah. And so for Peter then to do signs and wonders and then try and draw you into the worship of Messiah would fall under the Deuteronomy 13 prohibition against following somebody who's leading you away from God. So Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. A centurion, by the way, is a commander of a hundred men. You know, century means a hundred in Latin. So centurion is a commander of a hundred men. What we would call as a double platoon, maybe. He would have been well paid. In our army, he'd probably be equivalent to a captain much more experienced than a captain in our army would have. He'd have been there a long time. And it's interesting, being stationed in Israel, he has come to believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he's not a Jew, obviously, but he is a believer. Then verse 3, About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, it's going to be important that there's three guys in this party. So you've got a soldier and two servants. The servants could be anything, but the soldier, of course, would have been someone that he had on his staff, if you will. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on a housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So you got three guys in the party that are coming to get him. He gets the vision three times. So this three is going to repeat several more times by the time we get to the end of this vignette. Animals, reptiles, and birds, three again. And I'm going to sort of hold here for a minute because... This is one of the places where Messianics and Christians differ with each other, in that Christians will come to this passage of Scripture and say, see, 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 everything has changed, you can eat anything. Of course, we know that that's not true, and when we get down to the end of the vignette, Peter himself will explain what the vision means. 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed, as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. So Peter, at this point, does not understand the vision. And I figure if Peter, who spent all that time with Yeshua, and is sort of the leader of the apostles, 
doesn't understand it, perhaps the explanation is not obvious. So, 17 again. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So you got three times in the vision, you got three men that have showed up. Verse 20. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guests. So now I'm down to 23 and a half. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with you or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you sent for me. So Peter is saying, you know perfectly well that Jews will not enter the house of a Gentile. But God told me to, so here I am. And here we get our first inkling of what the message of the sheet is, which is that you should not call any man common or unclean. Verse 30. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon at Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So instead of having to chase him down and tell him the gospel there, chasing him down to get the gospel. Verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Yeshua Messiah, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Yeshua of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. That's full stop. We were arguing about grammar two or three times ago, about who Yeshua appeared to. 
And I was of the opinion he appeared to everybody. This seems to contradict that. He did appear to more than the 12, apparently, but not necessarily abroad, as I thought. So now, backing up. One of the things that is encapsulated in this paragraph is what the relationship is between God and the Jews and God and the Gentiles. And in a minute, what's going to happen is the Spirit's going to fall on the Gentiles, and that's just going to change everybody's worldview because they didn't think that was possible. Rabbi Foreman has got a very nice teaching on this. And it's with respect to the Exodus, and he talks about the firstborn. And you remember at the Exodus that one of the things that God says to Pharaoh is, Israel is my firstborn. And if you don't let my firstborn go, I will kill your firstborn. And Foreman goes into an interesting discussion about what the firstborn means in that context and in general. His perspective, which I like very much, I wouldn't be talking about it, is that it's the job of the firstborn to serve as a bridge between the parents and their values and the rest of the family, because he's the closest to the parents in age. So the job of the firstborn then is to take the values of the parents and transmit them to the next generation. And a lot of that's symbolic because many times firstborns are not that far apart from the rest of them. And the idea here is not that the parents don't love all of their children, it's just that the firstborn symbolically has a special role. And so it is here with God. It isn't that God doesn't love all of humanity, it's simply that God has chosen Israel as his firstborn who has the job of transmitting God's values to the rest of the human family. So in that sense, what Peter is talking about is, wow, I understand that God shows no partiality, which is to say, I understand that we are all in the family of man. And Hebrews or Jews have a special mission. We've got something we've got to do. We are the firstborn. God calls us the firstborn. And our job then as firstborn is to take the word of God and the knowledge of God and disseminate it throughout the world to the rest of the family. So in that sense, it isn't necessarily that God loves Jews more than he loves Gentiles. It's you're the firstborn. You've got responsibilities here. I've got stuff I want you to do. It doesn't mean I don't love all the rest of them. Pick it up at 42. And he, Yeshua, commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Now, remember we had the incident back earlier with Simon who tried to buy access to the Holy Spirit, the magician? What that tells me by inference was that the Holy Spirit was being given among Jews. Because remember, people 
in that town were getting the Holy Spirit. And Simon says, wow, I want that too. And the fact that this is the first time that everybody says, whoa, Gentiles got it too, is a big surprise, sort of indicates to me that the ones who were getting it in the town where Simon was were in fact Hebrews. Don't know that that's true, but I'm just going off of the fact that everybody's really surprised that the Gentiles get the Holy Spirit. 45. The gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. When Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Yeshua, Messiah. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Now, we made a big deal when we were talking about Pentecost earlier in the book of the fact that whenever the Holy Spirit lands on somebody, everybody around them knows that something has happened. One of the evidences is speaking in tongues. And there's lots of controversy over what that means. And certainly at Pentecost, one of the things that happened was people were able to praise God in a language that somebody else there understood, but the speaker had not previously learned. So that's clearly one of the things that speaking in tongues means. Here at Cornelius's house, everybody's speaking the same language. The deal that happened at Pentecost, remember, is Pentecost is a feast of ascent, which means that devout Jews from all over the Mediterranean had made the trip to Jerusalem for the feast. And so you had then Elamites and Phrygians and all those kinds of things who I'm inferring were Jews who lived in various parts of the Mediterranean and, of course, spoke the local language. Just like most Jews in the United States speak English, and a lot of them don't speak any Hebrew. They don't speak anything but English, even though they're Jews. So one of the things that I'm suggesting may be going on is they are speaking in some other language because as far as I know, there's nobody in the house here that isn't speaking Greek or Latin or Aramaic, which, by the way, at least for me, gives credence to the idea that speaking in tongues does not have to be in a known language. can be, but doesn't have to be. That's my inference. At this point, Peter says, well, okay, let's baptize these folks. Chapter 11. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. So remember, Peter said, I'm here, and my people would not approve of my being here, and this is them not approving. Also, I think, probably haven't taught it in this context, but when I teach it in uh, Galatians, the circumcision party are messianic Jews, who are of the opinion that in order for Gentiles or anybody else to come into the kingdom of God, they must first be circumcised and be told to follow the law of Moses. That's the whole controversy in the book of Galatians. They're followers of the way. They believe Yeshua is the Messiah, but they also believe that in order to do that, you've got to be brought into Judaism. And the 
Council of Jerusalem in, in chapter 17, they're going to have this out with Peter and Paul. So anyway, this is sort of the first appearance of the circumcision party in the book of Acts. And they are, of course, upbraiding Peter for eating with Gentiles. And we're going to see this again, aren't we? Remember when Paul rebukes Peter at either Ephesus or Antioch, Peter and Paul are both proselytizing to Gentiles and members of the circumcision party come up and when that happens, Peter stops eating with the Gentiles and goes and eats with them and Paul rebukes him for that. And that conversation is here in the book of Acts, but it's been recalled in the book of Galatians. So this idea of table fellowship is a big deal. And the idea of Gentiles and Jews eating together in any setting other than a Jewish house with a Jewish kitchen is regarded as, we just don't do that. So I'm now down all the way down to verse 4, right? But Peter began and explained to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again to heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. So, three times, three men. Verse 12, And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And the idea is you will get the gospel by which you will be saved, you and your household. 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the words of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, when we believed in the Lord Yeshua Messiah, who was I then to stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance and leads to life. So the idea here is Peter explains what the vision means. What the vision means is that no child of God is unclean or common, regardless of what they eat. And you remember Yeshua says, it's not what goes into a man's mouth that defiles him, it's what comes out of his mouth that defiles him. So the message from God here is not that it's now kosher to eat bats and lizards and eels and whatever else. The message here is, those who do eat them are not to be called unclean and common. What he's saying here is not that my dietary laws have been suspended. He is not saying that. What he's saying is that people who eat unclean things are not disqualified 
from the kingdom of God. And so Peter, as far as I know, never laid a lip on a pork chop. And that's because God told him not to, and he didn't. And Paul later says that he never violated any of the laws or customs of his people, which means that Paul didn't kiss eels either. But the deal is Gentiles do. And the fact that they do does not disqualify them from salvation and from entering the kingdom of God. Now, having said that, it is my opinion, and it's the opinion of the rabbis, eating unclean food makes you spiritually stupid, which is to say it interferes with your ability to connect to God, and that may be one of the reasons God gave the Jews the special diet, because they have a special job, which is to stay connected to him so that they can take his word in the office of the firstborn and give it to the rest of humanity. So at this point, I think we'll quit, and we'll pick it up at... 11.19 next time.